0: Welcome to Believing the Bible with Scott Lane and Terry Reed of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association with a message of hope in today's troubled world based on biblical truths. We hope that today's program is enlightening and inspirational.
1: Grandpa, Grandpa, guess what? My teacher said that scientists showed evolution when they got single-celled algae to clump together.
0: Is that a fact? Did you ask your teacher how she knows?
1: Oh, Grandpa. The scientists showed how it happened, so it's got to be right.
0: Evolutionary scientists once showed the medical world that the human thymus gland was not only useless, but actually harmful, and even used radiation on babies because of it. But that was very wrong. But what's never been shown to be wrong is the Bible, God's Word. Now, about those algae... How did they show evolution?
1: Well, they put some algae in a test tube and added a predator protozoan that attacked the algae. Then the algae started sticking together to make themselves too big for the protozoan to eat.
0: Did the algae change into some other kind of critter?
1: No, the algae even had to break apart when it needed to divide.
0: Hmm, why don't we open the Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 and read, Then God said... Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. Sounds to me like those algae critters stayed algae, right? Yes, sir. And I happened to read about that algae in Creation magazine. The writer says that there is another type of algae that has a gene which makes it stick together in sheets most of the time. The one that your teacher spoke about has the same gene but only uses it when it needs to. So what does that mean?
1: That means there is no new information in two types of algae.
0: Right! Those who believe in evolution will use examples like this to prove evolution. But for critters to change from one kind to a totally different kind, new information needs to be added. A whole lot of new information. And that's a fact. Welcome to Believing the Bible. This is Scott
2: Lane with Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams, and our producer Ed Salisdell, all directors of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association. We are here to reassure you can believe the Bible from the very first verse. Thanks Carl again for the excellent skit that highlights the question about single cell to multicellular organisms and that transition which is assumed in the evolutionary story. What were your thoughts putting this thing together?
1: Well, number one, I wanted to shout out to Matthew Cherhardy, one of our former board members who wrote the article from which I referenced. And it is something that revolutionists have to solve the problem of going from single cells. Of course, getting a single cell itself is a huge problem, but we won't go into that one. But going from single cells to multicellular organisms is a huge jump. And so this is one example that the evolutionists use to try to say that, yes, this could have happened. This could have happened, and so by looking at why it happens in the first place, we can see that it could not have led to the multicellular organisms we do see in the world today. The one little uh, attribute of this one Chlamydomonas, a type of algae, that will stick together at times is from a gene it already has but just chooses to turn on and off when it needs to. In other words, when there was a predator protozoan in the area, then the genes could be turned on to make them stick together and thus help resist being eaten by these paramecia that's trying to get to them. And it doesn't always do it. It has to turn it off if it wants to reproduce. So it is definitely not any evidence for evolution. It definitely does not lead to multicellular organisms to evolve.
2: Now, this response by the algae to clump together is what we call an epigenetic response. What
1: is that? Well, there's a term called junk DNA we heard years ago from the Genome Project that looked to try to find the DNA that coded for all the different genes in an organism. And so once all the genes were coded and and figured out, they figured out, oh, there's a whole lot, like 98% of the DNA that does not code for genes. Therefore, they must be junk. And it wasn't until more recently that we found that there has to be something that turns genes on and off called epigenes. And the epigenes have to be triggered by other things in the DNA, but we won't go into that, mainly because I don't know enough about it to discuss it intelligently. But we do have the system of called epigenetics where there has to be a trigger that turns genes on and off at the appropriate time. And the epigenes, are triggered by various environmental pressures, if you will. Yes.
2: So again, what we're talking about, whether you're talking about them clumping together in sheets, as some species regularly do, Mm -hmm. or talking about them clumping together because of an environmental response, we're talking about something that's pre-programmed into the DNA. We are not talking about the gain or loss of information here. That is correct. And of course, evolution needs that gain or loss of information needs the changing of things. So while people would grab onto this and say, well, this clumping shows how we went from single cells to multicellular organisms, it really is not a good example of that at all. Terry, you were going to ask Carl a question. Are tissues, skin tissue, muscle tissue, bone tissue, are they merely a bunch of different cells that are stuck together or is there more going on than that?
1: Well, actually, if you talked about the skin and the bones and so forth, in medicine, we call them organs. Mm-hmm. An organ is not simply one type of tissue, but multiple tissues that are worked to produce one type of function. The skin, for instance, the dermis, is one organ that does a multitude of, of functions, including protection of the internal parts of the body, providing the channels for nerves to go to the skin so we can feel things, in other words, sensation it also has blood vessels circulating through the tissues in other words another tissue inside the tissue by the tissue inside the tissue that helps allow blood to flow to nourish the skin cells and also to regulate temperature so there's multiple different tissues within tissues within tissues so there's no one tissue that just could have come up by itself and been self-sufficient
2: you are listening to believing the bible this is scott lane with Terry Reed and Dr. Carl Williams, if you would like to learn more, go to sabsa.org. That is s-a-b-b-s-a.org. Today we're talking about the quandary of single-layer to multicellular organisms, and one of the things we were looking at was algae in terms of how it will clump and then unclump. But this really doesn't answer the question of how you got to multicellular organisms. Another example of this: the simplest form of multicellular organism that we find as an example in the world today is something called trichoplax adherence. This was first found in 1883 in aquariums. Incidentally, trichoplax adherence means hairy, sticky plate. <laughs> it's less than three millimeters wide in terms of how big the thing gets. No front, no back. The things, it doesn't have a mouth, a head, or anything else like that less than 25 micrometers thick, less than a sheet of paper. No muscles, nerves, blood, mouth, or organs. But it does have three layers of cells and about 50,000 cells in one of these sticky plates. Underside, each cell has one cilium, or hair. And all of those hairs on the underside will work together to move it. Hmm. To eat, it settles over debris, and then takes cells from the bottom layer and creates a pocket, and then exudes chemicals which help to digest what it's gonna take in. The upper layer has tiny dark spheres outside the cells. These contain venom like snakes as protection. It'll actually uh, repel or paralyze a predator like a snail on the upper layer. The middle layer is connective and moves nutrients and waste from the bottom layer to the top layer and back as it collects food. There is no gullet, there is no mouth, so the evolutionary path of you're going to develop multicellular and tubes is not shown here. But what do you see with what I've described, guys? A Symbiosis. A Symbiosis and is a real design here. Absolutely. There's a motative ability, there's a connective ability, there's the ability to take in nutrients as a coordinated group, mm-hmm. there's a protection system. Is this a simple multicellular system or does it show design? It's incredibly complex. Incredibly complex. It could not have happened spontaneously. Okay. What are y'all's background thoughts about this thing going from a single cell to a multicell organism?
1: Well, it, it is an incredible leap of faith. Of course, like I said, the, the biggest leap of faith is to to have the faith that non-living material could become a single cell in the first place, because each cell is a tremendous body of complexity in and of itself. And then to think that you could get cells to group together in some sort of viable method... In other words, they have to be able to, from the beginning of sticking together, be able to to fend for each other, in other words, to protect each other, and to feed each other, and to move around with each other, and to communicate with each other in such a way to reproduce. One of the
2: things I didn't mention about the trichoplax adherens, which is supposedly the simplest multicellular organism we know of, is that it is thought, because we don't know this, that the middle layer acts as some kind of nerve net, much like the uh, nerve nets we find on jellyfish and comb jellies, directing, because how does the cilia know which way to move it or anything else? So that is supposed, but they don't know that. But one thing we do know about the thing is it's connected, every one of these 50,000 cells are connected and scaffolded by desmosomes. And if you don't know what a desmosome is, they are the connectors that hold cells together. In humans, we have laminants, and laminants are the scaffolding which basically make sure that we stand up and don't just fall into a puddle of jelly. Again, is there amazing complexity here? again next Saturday for Believing the Bible. I'm Scott Lane and for Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams and Ed Salisbury. thanks for listening and we hope you found today a reason to believe the Bible.